0: yeah there it goes finally wow we are in the book of nehemiah we're in nehemiah chapter 7 it's a pivotal point in the book of nehemiah it is a chapter that if you have read it this week you're going how in the world are you going to preach from you know a hundred or so you know not a hundred but a whole bunch of names because there's nothing in there that i figure out you can apply to us but there's a lot actually um Nehemiah chapter 7 is a pivotal point because what happens is the first six chapters talk about the building of the wall. Then chapter 7 makes this transition and deals with a whole bunch of people. And then from chapters 8 on, we're going to deal with the spiritual growth of the children of Israel and and how they get their lives in line spiritually. And so that's where we're headed. We talked last week about the idea of uh, Nehemiah putting this thing together. And so we come to chapter 7 and um, it's a little bit... uh, overwhelming when you start to read it because it's like, okay, what, why in the world would God do this? Why in the world would God list all of these odd names? Um, And so I'm going to just show you, I'm not going to list all the names and we're not going to read it because um, there's just a whole, whole lot of them. But here's the first, all I did was grab their names. Okay. The first 25 verses of Nehemiah seven, these are all of the names of people that are listed. So I'm not about to try to read those and pronounce all of those names correctly. Um, and it goes on. There's another, you know, there's another 30 verses or 25 verses after this um, of names. Here's a question. Why? And by the way, here's something else you should know. This is the second time this list of names occurs in the Bible. It's actually, in two, it's actually also in the book of Ezra, chapter 2. So we have these people who are listed in Ezra chapter two, and then we have these same many of them the same. There are a few that are different and odds and ends, but that this group of people listed in Nehemiah seven. Why? You know, and we're going to talk about that this morning because there there are some great lessons. One of the things that you need to understand is one of the things that this passage teaches us, Ezra two and Nehemiah seven, is the idea that God's faithful. Because you see, these are people who were in Jerusalem and went into captivity. So they went into, into captivity and they were in underneath a Persian ruler and they were, they were persecuted and they were put down and all of this stuff. And many times they would have felt felt like they were forgotten. And yet, God and what happens is this group comes out of Persia in Ezra chapter 2 and they go back to Jerusalem and they help build the temple. And then about 30 years later or so, Nehemiah comes along and he helps rebuild the walls and some of these people are, st- are involved in it. Because you see, God had promised that the children of Israel were my people and I'm going to take care of them. And even in captivity, God hadn't forgotten them. And so God brings this group of people out. And so this is just a small list of the people that came out that were part of the whole project. And you go, okay, but you know, why is that important to us? I mean, I don't, I don't know any of these people and really don't care. But there's a subtle principle here, but it is so important, and here's the thing. These people mattered to God. They don't mean diddly to us, but they were important to God. In fact, so important, he put their name in the Bible twice. Um, Because you see, this is what you need to understand. People are important to God. Um, I was, when I was in college, um, uh, my senior year, um, I, was, I was elected, nominated, elected to um, Who's Who Among American College Students and Universities. Now, that may sound impressive to you, but we call it Who's a Zit. Um, and so, anyway, part of this is, and this is colleges and schools, and they do this kind of stuff all the time. As a result of that, what happens is they send all this information to your parents. Hey, if you would like a plaque, here's what it will cost you. And if you would like to see their name in a book, here's what it would cost you. Now, my parents, being my parents, had to buy the extra plaque and the book. Now, let me explain to you what this book is. This book is like this thick, of 1983, of all the people who were elected to that. And my parents paid, I think it was something like 60 bucks, for a book that had my name in it. What a racket. I mean, these guys are brilliant, you know, what a racket, you know, because a parent goes, oh, my kid's name is in the book. I don't know what happened to the book. If I know my parents, it still exists somewhere. But you see, it was important to my parents because that was their kid's name in the book. It wasn't even important enough. I wouldn't have spent 60 bucks on a book. But yet, for my parents, it was like, this is important. And you see, what you need to understand is, God said, these people are important, so I'm going to put their name there. If you ever try to read your Bible all the way through, you're going to do fine until you get to the book of Numbers. And then you're going to go, why am I reading this? You know, it's because these people are important. Because the book of Numbers and sections like this, here's one of the things it teaches you. People are important to God even if they're not important to us. And that's what you need to remember. One of the things that's interesting in this passage, when you go through it, actually most of these all have sons of in front of them, and then it has a number afterwards of how many that, that, that it involved You know, go home, you want a great, encourage- if you're having trouble napping this afternoon, this is it, Nehemiah 7, start in verse 6, see how far you get. Um, but the idea here is as these people, as, these, as he names these people, often he says sons of, because here's why. He lists them in family groups because families are important to God. See, we're, we're in a culture, we don't understand, we, we get so sucked into this, we don't pay attention to it, but we're in a culture that's trying to do everything it can to destroy a family. I mean, Satan is working his hardest to just rip families apart, and you've watched it. You've watched it in all kinds of ways. You know, you've watched that, now it's LGBTQ is what it is now. You know, the, you've watched that whole movement come in and try to mess with the whole family thing. You're watching as divorce is messing with the whole family thing. You're watching, and this is what I think is the most dangerous thing in our culture right now. You're watching activities come in and rip the family apart. And you're watching families allow other people to become the primary influencer of, the, of, your, of their children. And I'm all for, I am all for, I don't have any problem with sports, I don't have any problem with the extracurriculars, I don't have any problem with those kinds of things, as long as they are not the primary influencer of your child. That is your job. It's not the coach's job, it's not the teacher's job, it's not the pastor's job, it is your job to be the primary influence of your child. It is your job to have the primary relationship and interaction with your kids. And I think too many, I'm afraid too many times, I mean, I know families, honestly, the kids are gone from morning until night, and mom and dad, it's like, it's like two ships passing on at night and how much time they spend together. And you go, well, you know, you know it's, it's good for my kids. Well, it may be good for your kids now, but it's bad for your kids later because they don't know what a healthy, normal family should look like. If, you're brought, if they're brought up in this culture that says a normal, healthy family is everybody running their own direction and nobody doing anything together, it tears it apart at its very core and its very fabric. And families were important. And when when, when Nehemiah lists this thing, he lists it out by families. And then here's the other thing you see as you go through all of these names. He deals with it in the context of community. He deals with it as these are all the people who are involved in the project that are now going to move into the city. He deals with it from that context of the idea that this is, although these are all individuals, this is a group. And this is the group now that's going to come in and be together. Because community is very, very important. And, you know, I'm going to talk about it a little more in a minute, but it, 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 it is so important for you to be very careful about the idea that you can do life alone. Um, you're going to come up against stuff that's bigger than you. And you're going to come up against stuff in life where you need other people to come alongside and carry some of the weight and help you. And if you have isolated yourself from everybody and you keep pushing people away, and I understand, sometimes you get hurt and you build walls to protect yourself so you don't get hurt again, but in building those walls to protect yourself so that you don't get hurt, you also protect yourself from being helped. And that becomes very dangerous. And and as life comes along and some of those things come, you have to have people in your corner who can help you and guide you through it as well. What's interesting is when you come to the end of chapter, of this chapter, verse uh, 31, there is a very difficult passage in in verse 32 that becomes um, somewhat of a struggle for us. And so let's read it. Um, Here's what it says. It says, another group returned at this time from the towns of Talmanhar, Tashar, all these towns. However, they could not prove they or their families were descendants of Israel. This group included the families of Delilah, Tobiah, Nagoda, a total of 642 people. Okay? Listen to what it goes on to say. Um, the next passage says, three families of priests, Hobiah, Hazak, and Brasilia, i guess guessing, also returned. Now he had married a woman who was a descendant of Gilead and he had taken her family name. They searched for their names in the genealogical records but they were not found. So they were disqualified from serving as priests. The governor told them not to eat the priest's share of the food and sacrifices all priests could consult with the Lord about the matter using the Urim and thummim, the sacred lots. This was a way they decided difficult thing. Here's what's interesting when you read this story. What what Nehemiah has to decide is, okay, now we've got the city up, we've got all the walls up, and and now who's going to move into the city? Who's allowed in? We've got a list of all these people that were allowed in. And then we come to this passage, and it says, there were 642 people, and there were three families of priests that couldn't prove they belonged. So guess what? They were out. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute, because this would have been tough. You've traveled from Persia. With Ezra, you've helped Ezra build the temple. Then you've hung around for a while, and then Nehemiah came in, and you've helped build the walls. And now it's time to come in and be a part of it, and Nehemiah goes, okay, let's, find, let's make sure, just double-check everything. Um, we need to make sure that everybody's an Israelite that's going to be in the town. Yep, boom, 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 boom. Um, where's your guys' birth certificates? We don't have it. So you can't prove you're an Israelite. No, we can't. Sorry, you're out. That seems kind of harsh. I mean, especially if you put in all the work on the walls, and then you're like, I mean, can you imagine somebody working here in the church the whole time, helping us build it and everything else, and we get all in, and we have our first service here, and we stand at the door and say, excuse me, I'm sorry, you're not allowed to come in. You go, whoa. I think there's a great lesson in that. We're going to talk about that in a second. But that's what happens here. That's what happens. He goes, you can't prove it. I'm sorry, you're not allowed in. Um, and then the last part of the verse just talks about how they settled, the last part of the chapter, we're not going to look at it, but it just talks about how they settled stuff out and, and organized some things before we get to chapter 8. I want to yank a couple of lessons out of here that I think will help us as we head into the week and some, some things that I think we can wrap our, our hands around to, to apply to our own lives. And here's the first one. The first one is this. One of the things that you learn in this chapter is that God's faithful. You see, Israel was in captivity because they walked away from God. But here's what you need to understand God never walked away from them. And that is so important for you to understand. Because I, I have people say, you know, you don't understand. You know, I had a situation come up and it was just too much for me, and I just walked away and I didn't want anything to do with God, and I kind of pushed God in a corner and, and and did a whole bunch of stuff, and now I don't know if God really wants to have me again or what. Time out. I'm going to answer that for you really quickly. Yes, God still wants you, and He's going to continue to pursue you until the day you die. Because He's faithful. See, Israel Israel had messed up, and they had messed up big time. And God said, you know what? It doesn't matter. I still want you, and even though you're in captivity, you need to know I'm in your corner. And I will bring you back to the land that I promised you, and I will help you, and I will be with you, and I will be your God, and I will put you in the city because I have not given up on you. And I want to challenge you, because some of you, I think, have come to a point where you go, you know, I just, I, I've dropped the ball so many times that God can't use me anymore. God doesn't want me. That nothing could be further from the truth. He's a God of forgiveness, mercy, tenderness, compassion, grace. Yes, He does want you, and He has not given up on you, and He will continue to be faithful and, and hang in there with you. Even when you're not, He's still there. And that is so important for us to realize. Second thing I think you see in this passage is you see the value here of people and family and community. Um, you can't miss it when you, when, when, you look at this, when you look at this passage because it's so easy to, to, to make Nehemiah about building the wall. But what you have to understand, and this is why seven, chapter 7 pivots and then chapter 8 on, the wall, and this is important, the wall was a means to an end. It's easy to look at Nehemiah 7 and go, oh, what a great chapter on leadership and how he built the wall and how God used the people and blah, 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 blah. That's the means to an end. The end is a community of God living together and going out into the world every day as God's people. They just needed walls around it so they had a place to be safe to be able to go out from there. Let me explain to you. I love, you know, I mean, I walked in a parking lot this morning and, you know, I, I've, I've been here 26, 25 years in um, my wildest idea, I never imagined anything like this. This is just kind of overwhelming to me. In fact, last week, was it last week or two weeks ago or whatever else, my wife and I, were, we were driving. I said, come here. I said, I said, we're going to pull in the old church parking lot. And I, I told her, I said, I don't even know how, where we parked. I mean, the, the, this building is larger than the parking lot. Um, and, and, and I look at it, and so I'm walking in the parking lot this morning. I'm going, God, this is just crazy. This is just crazy. But you know what the thing is? This was not the end. This was the means to an end. See, the purpose of this is so that we can gather in here and encourage one another and build one another up and develop community and develop family and learn to share and depend on one another so that we can get encouraged to go out into a world who desperately needs to see that. And then we get to come back next week and do it all over again. And that's what I love. But, but our goal here is not the building. The goal here is the fellowship and the family and the, 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 the unity that we have in here. And many of you are like me. You were brought up in a church where you were taught unity is uniformity. And it, there could be nothing further from the truth. There is a point at which in some organizations you need, you, you need uniformity. You need uniformity in order to get everybody on the same page. But one of the things that you see in the kingdom of God is you see an incredible diversity within unity. You see this incredible concept in the, in the animal world that, that there is all kinds of diversity, and yet there is a unity within the animal world, animal kingdom, that, that, that works itself out. And I think you see that reflected in the church. You know, we, we're not going to insist that everybody has to dress a certain way. Because we don't dress a certain way ever, I mean, unless we're in the military, you know, or unless you have a place that you work where they have a uniform that you have to wear. We don't, we we want you to be able to come and be yourself. We want you to come and be able to be as you are. And so when you come here, you see incredible diversity. You know, I have people ask me who've never been, they're like, you know, well, what should I wear to church? It's like, you know, what are you comfortable in? My my principle for me is, because it's a worship service, because I'm, I'm focused on God, I try to go one step up from what I normally do. I try to make it a little bit different, a little bit more special than what I do normally during the week. That's my, that's how I decide what I want. So for some of you, I mean, you know, you're all dressed up and decked out and everything else, you know, um, and, and so you're used to wearing that, so it's not, you know, I, it's funny because I have people who haven't haven't been around me enough, and they see me in the store during the week, and they're like, I didn't even recognize you, you know? And I'm like, yeah, these are my, I tell my kids, my kids know this, as soon as I come home, I go, okay, good, now I can get in my real people clothes. Um, because I'm, I'm comfortable in a T-shirt and jeans, that's me. That's Nine times out of ten, you see me, it's T-shirts and a jean. You know, I would love to do that here, but I try to do it a little different, so, you know, I used to do the tie thing. Oh, it was so frustrating for me was so frustrating. Those of you who work ties, God bless you. I had to do it in college. I did it for a long time growing up. I did a long time in church deal. Um, You know, I mean, I I just think I should have turned it into a noose, turned it upside down and called it good because, you know, I mean, it just, I like the, and so that's me. That's, 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 that's what I try to do. When I, when I I preached in chapel this week. I try to dress up a little bit different when I when I do the nursing home this week. um, I I try to do it a little bit different than what I normally do. That's what I do. It's just a way. We're not going to sit here and go, okay. It's all about this. It's got to be this way. You know, because you think about for a minute. You think about how your when your family gets together. You know, you don't go, okay. Well, when you do family pictures, you know, it's like, okay. You know, in our house, there's a color. Everybody has to wear a certain color. And family pictures, you know. Um, But the idea is that, you know what, as we come together, there can be incredible diversity here. And we can still be on the same page. Because you see what was important with Israel is that they had one thing in common. They were Israelites. And if they were an Israelite, they were allowed to come in. And they had that one thing in common. And so as we get together here, the thing we want to have in common is Jesus Christ. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that's what we're seeking for everyone here to make sure they have that. And then the rest of it, we can have diversity. We can, we can be different. We can be ourselves. And if you've ever been around, if you get around here a lot, what you're going to find is people are incredibly candid and, and probably to the point of shocking you sometimes. But that's okay. That's okay because we, ha- we, we do. We, we enjoy being together and we enjoy being ourselves and we enjoy helping each other along the way and that's what we want to have here we want so you know for some of you come in and go you know I'm just not quite sure where I fit in Um, if you're a little bit dysfunctional you'll fit in great (laughs) if you have your act all 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 together we're going to just frustrate you to no end Um, that's kind of how it how it goes here all right and and that's the kind of place we want we want a kind of place where we have in common Jesus Christ but there is a a unity there is a there is diversity. There is people being honest with themselves and one another. You know, and I come up, some people say, hey, how you doing? And they go, My, it's just a lousy day. Great. Now I know how to pray for you. Instead of going, oh, it's all wonderful when it's really a lousy day. You know, that's the kind of place that we want. We want the kind of place where you can be honest um, with each other. The last thing is probably the most difficult thing in this passage. And that's why were these people excluded? why were these people who worked so hard on this project not allowed to enjoy it and participate in it? And I think there's a phenomenal lesson there. Because the reality of it is, there is a world to come in which there will be people excluded from the kingdom of God. Now, the world is not going to tell you that. The world's going to tell you that there are many ways to God, that, the, that, that, that you know, as long as you're sincere, that's all you need. But I would challenge you with the idea of you can't live your life that way. Why do you think eternity should be that way? You can sincerely believe that in America you should drive on the left side of the road. And you're going to believe that with all your heart. And and you're not going to make it. Because we put people in jail for driving on the wrong side of the road. Or they end up in an accident or a hospital or a funeral home. You go, well, Well, they're really sincere about it. Well, that's great, but they're sincerely wrong. And you need to understand that when we talk about heaven and we talk about hell and we talk about eternity, you need to understand there are going to be people excluded from heaven. And when Jesus was here, he was very, very clear. He said, there's a wide road and many people are on it, but my road it's narrow. Everybody will say, well, there's many ways. I say I am the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one gets to the Father but this way, through me. There is one way and one way only. You say, well, I, you know, I just can't buy that. It just seemed like there should be many ways to God. Let me tell you something. If there were other ways than Jesus Christ to God, then Jesus would have never gone to the cross because one of the things that he says before he goes to the cross is, Father, if there's any other way, let's go to plan B. If there's any other way, you let me go another way, you let it happen another way. Let this cup pass from me. But not my will but yours be done. If there was any other way to God than Jesus Christ on the cross, believe me, Jesus would have taken plan B. And he asked God for plan B, but God said no. So you need to understand, there it you go, well, that's a pretty exclusive message. In an inclusive world, I get it, but that's what the Bible says. And I have people who would struggle with me, and they go, you know, I just can't believe in a hell. I mean, I, I just can't believe that there would be a, a hell. Okay, let me help you with something, okay? When God created the world, one of the things that you see innately in His, in his design of the world is a world of opposites. When God creates light there's darkness. When God creates sun, there's moon. When God creates sky, there's sea. There's above, there's below. When you go into the physical world and you study physics or science or whatever, you're taught that for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. When you go into the world of electricity, there is a positive and a negative. When you go into the world of philosophy, you go into Eastern philosophy, there is a yin and there is a yang. In every area of the world, there is an opposite. So here's what I would suggest to you if you want to embrace the idea of a heaven, then what's the opposite? So in other words, you think that God would design everything that way, and then in the heaven thing, you go, okay, I'm going to do this completely different. And you need to understand, the only reason that there is a hell is not because God's some meanie up in heaven. The only reason there's a hell is because if you accept him, you can be part of this, and if you reject him, there's got to be an opposite place for you to go. And hell was never created for people. It was created for Satan and his hosts. But if you make the same choice that Satan did to reject God, to reject Christ, then the opposite of a heaven is a hell. And you go, well, that's just really uncomfortable for me. That's uncomfortable for me. I don't like it either. But it's what the Bible teaches. In fact, if you look at the teachings of Jesus Christ, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find that when Jesus is on this earth, he spends more time talking about hell, Hades, Sheol, whatever term you want to give it, than he does about heaven. Because Jesus understood the principle that I want people to be part of my kingdom. You need to accept and embrace me. You need to make sure you're part of this. But if you reject me, if you don't want anything to do with me, if you want to try to get to heaven on your own or your own way or through some other way than Jesus Christ, this is where you you get to spend eternity. It's not his choice, it's your choice. You either embrace him or you reject him. If you embrace him, you spend eternity with him. If you reject him, you spend eternity apart from him. And Jesus is very, very clear. He says, on that day, many will stand there and say, didn't I do this? Didn't I come to church? Didn't I, didn't I give money? Didn't I, didn't, I, didn't I jump to all of these hoops? And Jesus will look at them and say, depart from me. I don't know you. Because it's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. These people had worked hard all of these years to get to the walls, to get the walls done. They get to a point where they say, good, now it's time to go in. And, And he says, okay, prove that you're part of our group. Prove that you're an Israelite. Well, we can't do it. Then you can't come in. And as hard as that seems, that's an eternal principle as well. And there'll be many on that day that says, say, oh, no, but Jesus, you know, I, like, I went to church, and I mean, you know, I, I, mean, I was there like once every six months. I mean, it was a sacrifice for us. You know, or I was there every week, and I sat on the board, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I, I was baptized and, and, and communicized and everything elseized, and, 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 and I should be a part of this thing. And Jesus says... You didn't accept me. You tried every other wide way that you could get there instead of putting your faith and trust in me. And it's so important that just like those Israelites had to prove that they were part of the Jewish family, that you and I are able to prove that we are part of God's family. And it is so important that you know that you are a child of God. And I, I challenge you because, you know, people go, you know, well, well, you know, isn't it about all the hoops? No, it's not about all the hoops. It's about putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, period. Jesus said, if you'll believe in your heart and if you'll confess with your mouth, not you might be saved, you could be saved, hopefully you will be saved, you shall be saved, period. No questions, no ifs, ands, or buts. God looks at me, I die tonight, today, tomorrow, next week. 20 years from now, I am standing before God, and he goes, okay, prove to me that you should be part of this kingdom. going to say I put my faith and trust in you. 16 years old. I said I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, I asked you to come into my heart and life. You said I would be saved. I get to go in. Not because of me, because of Jesus Christ. I know it's not a hope, it's not a prayer, it's not a maybe, it's not a okay, maybe if you're good enough or preach hard enough, I'll let you in on the a, on a side. I know because of Christ. There's an interesting passage in the book of Revelation. It's one of the last chapters, close to the last chapter of the Bible. And it talks about the end times, and it talks about in death and hell we're cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And then it says this. It's a very interesting passage when you start it out. But it says... And let me read it word for word. The books were open, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. When you study that passage out, there's this idea that anyone not found written in the book, it's this incredibly intense search to make sure for one last time that your name's not there. almost like God says okay just to make sure there is no mistake here one more shot at seeing whether or not your name's there at seeing whether or not you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ And, and I want to challenge you to make sure that you know because it is our prayer that we just take this whole little group one day and this whole little group one day is in heaven today, is in heaven, not today, you know, let's, let's make it through the day, uh, you know, that is in heaven together with loved ones and friends and family and everybody else, being together for all of eternity. It's not because of what we've done, it's because of Jesus Christ. And, and, and I, I beg you, I implore you to know for sure. Some of you are brought up in, in faith traditions and faith religions and stuff like that where you were taught you can't know for sure. And I would tell you this. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says you can know. And the book of James is a whole book that is written to be able to make sure that you know even. Give us a whole book. First, by the way, it's the first book the church had, the book of James talking about how you can know whether or not you have faith, whether your faith and trust is in Jesus Christ. If you don't know, please talk to one of us. There's nothing more important than to make sure and to know. The sad thing in this story is there are a lot of people who worked really hard for a long time, but they weren't sure. And when it came to it, unfortunately, they were excluded. One day, We will all stand before God. Those who have accepted him will enter into his kingdom forever. Those who won't will spend eternity apart from him. We don't want anybody to be in that group. We want you to know. So I want to challenge you because I think that's one of the great lessons here of chapter 7 is that we can know. So I end it with this. God is faithful. People matter to Him. He desires a relationship with each one of us. But not everyone's confident of their standing before God. It is our responsibility to make sure that God is our Savior and our names are written in His book of life. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, for many of us, we know. So Lord, we are confident of that day that We will spend eternity with you, not because of what we have done, but because we have put our faith and trust in what you have done. Lord, there's some that still struggle. They think of their past or their whatever, Lord, is keeping them away from making sure their confidence and trust is in you alone. Maybe they think, Lord, that you don't care, that you have not, uh, that you've abandoned them, but, Lord, would you help them understand this morning that you are there that you're faithful, that you want nothing more than to spend eternity with them. And Lord, may all of us be assured of that. And Lord, as we go out into the world this week, may we encourage one another and help one another and allow Christ to be seen in us all week so that people may know that you are the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one gets to the Father but through Christ. And we give you the honor and the glory and the praise, since we ask in your name. Amen.